I'm Tavis Smiley. You do, in fact, belong here, and I'm glad that you are with us today in this hour. This is KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. We thank Ellis Coast for that uh, powerful conversation about the need still 100 years later for Black History Month. And I'm <clears throat> delighted to welcome back to this program in Black History Month, Dr. Lewis Gordon, a noted public intellectual. The last time he was on this program, we explored black consciousness and why it poses a threat to racist power structures. Today, we explore how racist power structures can permeate the minds of black folk to act against our own, uh, our own people, and in fact, our own best interest, uh, especially considering uh, the recent example of Tyree Nichols being murdered by those black cops uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. Gordon, welcome back to KBLA, sir. How are you? I'm fine. I'm delighted to be back. How are you? I'm doing the best I can. If I complained, I'd be an ingrate. Uh, just uh, delighted to be uh, in dialogue with you uh, once again. Let me do this right quick. Uh, put you on the spot here. Uh, I know we spent an hour discussing this last time. But I'm going to ask you to do it more like in 90 seconds or two minutes. But for those who missed our conversation when you were on last, talking about, again, the ways in which black consciousness poses a threat two racist power structures we're going to get to the flip side of that in just a second how those racist power structures impact and permeate our, permeate our own minds but for those who missed that conversation number one go to our go to our platforms and check out the podcast of dr gordon the last time he was on this program but top line for for the audience who may have missed that conversation uh, the ways in which uh, uh the the uh black consciousness in, in indeed poses a threat to the system to these racist power structures, and then we'll come to the other side. Sure. I mean, black consciousness with a capital B, because the other side we're going to talk about later is with a lowercase b. Mm -hmm. With capital B, black consciousness is about truth and reality. And racism, anti-black racism, colonialism, all of that, all of those things are built upon lies. And if you're going to build an entire system on lies, then of course a threat to it is anything that will actually embody or articulate truth. This is one of the reasons why, for instance, Black History Month is so short. We have Black History Month because we have a little moment in which we can uh, exhale and start breathing in some truth. The reality, the truth is, a, a lot of what actual human history is, a whole lot, and this is not trying to privilege black people over others, it's about the reality that most of the history of our species is about the people today that we would call black people. And a lot of the history has been, in a popular term, whitewashed. And the more we begin to un unravel that net and open it up and, and free ourselves to what the truth of history is, the more we will understand we've been sold a bag of goods. And that'll be very important right now to have the equivalent of what would be called truth warriors, people who go out there mm. and are willing to, to put their lives on the line for truth that could, as we used to say, set us free. Mm. A couple of questions in that regard uh, as we talk about the big B, and then we'll move to the little B. I like the way you frame that. Um, I wonder, speaking of truth warriors, my, my mind went to uh, the classic line from Jack Nicholson in a film that you will all know. Uh, you can't handle the truth. This is Jack Nicholson to Tom Cruise. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, all these years later, uh, as we celebrate Black History Month, we just spent a half hour talking to Ellis Coase, uh, great writer about a piece in the L.A. Times that he penned yesterday, an opinion piece 
uh, about uh, the fact that Black History Month is a 100-year-old relic and it's still more necessary now than ever before. We need this month for a lot of reasons, which he unpacked uh, in his piece yesterday. We just, again, spoke to Ellis a moment ago. So here you come now talking about the big B and the little B and talking about truth warriors. And so my question to you directly uh, and frankly is whether or not America at this point, we're in 2023, can America handle the truth? The truth, paradoxically, is and psychoanalytically, is all has always been difficult to handle. It's not just about America; it's about humanity in general. Mm-hmm. And I should add something to what I said about truth warrior, because you see, the problem when you only have warriors is even if you defeat another, you could be wrong. Mm-hmm. We also need truth. We also need truth nurturers, mm-hmm. people who actually are going to put in the time to communicate with others with humility. To understand that truth is something we have to work at together, not by oneself. So even though, and and that, even though I use the word warrior, I did not mean it in the kind of like you know who kicks whose butt. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I meant it more uh, in the courageous sense of people who build communities, people who are able to say, you know, they're learners rather than them imagining themselves like Moses with tablets. He's saying, look, I got the answer to it, to do it all. We need people who understand that. All people who are researchers, who are considered professors and all of that, technicians and all of that, are ultimately students. And humanity, in fact, one of our greatest gifts is our ability to learn. And an even more powerful gift is our ability to learn together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, the truth is Amer- America's never been ready for the truth because a lot of America is premised upon a lie. Mm-hmm. But America's health depends on those who can actually reveal truth. Mm. Um, I hear the challenge that uh, Dr. Gordon is, uh, is uh, offering us uh, today. Um, are you going to be a truth warrior or are you going to be a truth nurturer? And I suspect you can be both, but you got to pick a side. you got to pick one at, at a minimum uh, and commit yourself to be a truth warrior in the days and years ahead uh, or a truth nurturer in the days and years ahead Um uh, you can't be a spectator. Uh, activism, advocacy, advancement for our people is not a spectator sport. You can't stay on the sideline. So uh, decide whether you're going to be a truth warrior, a truth nurturer, or both uh, in the coming years. I digress on that point, but I'll be noodling that the rest of the day. Oh, no, I think you're, tr- I think you're totally right on that. You yeah. know, one of the things we have to remember is uh, a, a lot about being about human existence is we can be both, mm-hmm. but there are times. Certain elements are more relevant than others. Sure, but yeah. we can be both. Nope, but, I, there t- but there are times it's, there are times you need somebody to step up, and you know when you're under attack. Nope, you know? I, I I I I hear you, and I receive it um, uh, as you uh, as you're offering it. So that's the, that's that's the big B, um, and we we're just discussing. In case you've just tuned in, we've been discussing for a few moments here now this notion of black consciousness and why it poses a threat to racist power structures. Now let's flip it: how racist power structures can permeate the minds of black people to convince them to act against their own uh, people and against their own best interests. Exhibit A, Tyree Nichols, take it away, Dr. Gordon. Sure. The, the answer could for, for this one is very straightforward. You know, historically, nobody called themselves black, white, or any of that stuff. There's something that came out of this historical, unjust, brutal forces and these were the small b black, for instance, is something that was imposed upon us. And it wasn't originally as small b black. It was, as you know, it was Negro and 
other kinds of N words, mm-hmm. and that tells you a lot about it because you know the English language does have a word for black, which is black. Mm-hmm. But so the fact, <laughs> so the fact that among the among the uh, so the fact that the the English language adopted a Portuguese and Spanish word already tells you that there there's a little you know a sleight of hand going on there. Yes, yes, but, yes. Uh, and same with the and same with the French. You know, the French had a word for black. It, it wasn't the, the 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 unfortunate term that French was using, which is bag. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it was, it's la noir, and you know, it's in the, it's in the feminine, la noir. And so the thing that's interesting is the French were doing the same sleight of hand, and as we know, uh, as, as as Scottish and, and Irish and other, you know, and people who are placed within the Anglo framework pronounce those Latin words, it became the N word as we know it in, in the English language. Mm-hmm. But eventually, some folks began to say, "Yo, neither you know, is just, you know." Spanish or Portuguese for black, so let's just say black, but now, but then it was in the diminutive, small, because the presupposition is that black people lack what Frantz Fanon called ontological resistance in the eyes of the white. Mm. Now, let me translate that. That means the system wants to believe that black people can't do anything. We can't do anything about what's imposed upon us. We have to accept the system as is. We have to be pessimistic. Everything that matters, that is true, it's from a white perspective. And this is something that the boys, W.B. Du Bois, it's Black History Month, he was born this month, Frederick Douglass, born this month. So many others took on. And what that is, is this, this idea that precisely because we are, uh, are simply a product of that system and we have no agency, no option, then ultimately it means a system lie is treated as a truth. And that lie is this. We are always a problem. We are a problem. And in in other words, we're not people who are human beings facing problems. Now think about it. If you're a problem, then it means you must be eliminated. Hold that thought. Hold that that thought. It's it's getting rich. And uh, (laughs) I don't want to cut him off, but I'm I'm looking at this clock right quick. I, I hope you're listening to this. I'm sure you are. And you hear... Dr. Gordon, and I say this all the time on this program, the dots just get connected in the most interesting ways. We just had a conversation with Ellis Coase about black nihilism. What you just heard Dr. Lewis Gordon uh, offer a moment ago was his critique of black nihilism and why it exists and how it came to be uh, and the way we see ourselves in this space and time uh, and and why we behave oftentimes the way we do based upon and born of that belief. That's uh, the essence of black nihilism. But now he's raising this point that we don't have problems. We are, in fact, a problem. Well, if you're a black police officer and you imbibe this notion that black folk are a problem, uh, you see where we're going here. We'll continue with Dr. Lewis Gordon when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Talking with Dr. Lewis Gordon about how racist power structures can permeate the minds of black people to act against their own people. And oftentimes against their own self-interest. Exhibit A is Tyree Nichols and what happened to him at the hands of these black cops in Memphis. You were saying a moment ago, Dr. Gordon, uh, that something happens when you uh, imbibe this notion that black folk don't just have problems, but that black folk are, in fact, are a problem. Continue, please. Sure. Once you're constructed as a problem, that means that your very appearance, the very fact that you're in view means a problem has occurred. This is one of the reasons we have, for instance, driving and walking while black. The very, the very sight of us is the presupposition that there's something has gone wrong. But I, I think the more concrete contrast is to ask this. Uh, think about how 
white police officers, black police officers, Asian police officers, brown police officers behave when they pull over white people. Mm. And that says it all. It's right. I mean, there are white people who punch cops in the face, take out weapons, do all kinds of stuff, and are brought in alive. And this tells you something, because mm. in those circumstances, those white people are pulled over as human beings facing problems, which means the problem needs to be resolved. But if the presupposition of the people who encounter the police are, is that they are the problem, then the issue is not to find human beings dealing with issues to be resolved. The resolution is actually the containment or elimination of that person. And this has been part of the history of policing, uh, basically since its inception in the United States, back in back through the period of basically, as the boys pointed out, deputized white people just by virtue of being white people who can go and, and pick off black people. But the part you're raising a crucial part, and it's something some folks didn't like about my work, actually, uh, when it began to come out more than 30 years ago, is I said, yo, look, there are black anti-black races. There are black people who are black people. And there are black people where the very structure of the situation may be such that even if they don't hate black people, the structure of the situation is designed against black people, which has a racist outcome. But uh, let me, let me, so let me, what we have here... Let, yeah. let, me, let, me, let me cut in and ask right quick. But how does that... Uh, that mindset, that notion permeate the thinking of black people? Well, I don't think it permeates the thinking of all black people. No, I mean, I the, 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 ones you're, the ones you're talking about, though, yes. Oh, sure it does. Because ultimately, let's face it, they look in the mirror, they see themselves. So it has to develop a form of hatred of the self. Wow. And we find that the greatest violence from hatred of the self are those who function as our mirrors. Every one of those black cops who are beating the crap out of that young man to death was actually trying to beat their own blackness out of them. This is a projection of their own hatred. Ooh. That is, in other words, that is hatred. That is, it, right? But, but the thing about it, of course, is when you're a member of the group that you despise, that is going to take on many forms of perverse, violent uh, behavior. And mm -hmm. we see that there. Because the, the question is, even if they bought into the system that black people are problems, they could have brought the brother home alive. Yeah. You see what I'm getting at? No, I get it. I get but it. The, but, yeah, but that 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 zest, that zeal, that that cruelty, means that there's something more going on. They were trying to beat out blackness, and you know, yeah. with one life, they so, they did. Here's here's my question. I'm looking at my clock here. We got uh, a few minutes left when we come forward here, and I want to come right to this question very quickly. Um, if what Dr. Gordon is saying is true, uh, this last comment was so arresting that he offered us. It raises questions about how we go about choosing the people who are in positions of power who happen to be black, because that's the last place you want somebody who is anti-black themselves. If they're beating when they're beating the blackness out of Tyree, they're trying to beat the blackness out of themselves. If that's the way they approach policing, what kind of psychological test is there for us to weed out those kinds of folks as cops? Uh, and that's just one position of power in our country. Uh, anyway, we'll ask Dr. Gordon that when we come forward. Stay with us. Got less than five minutes here in conversation with Dr. Lewis Gordon. Let's see how wisely we can use these few minutes. Um, I was saying a moment ago, Dr. Gordon, that it seems to me that, the, that, uh, that uh, we, we don't want, we do not want black folk in positions of power who uh, behave in ways which illustrate that they think that black folk are the problem, particularly persons with power like cops. But I don't know how to weed those persons out, Dr. Gordon. Well, there are two things here. The first part is, 
to since we have a short time to just make it plain to the audience, this is talking about changing the players in a game. And the problem is the game I've described is a game that is designed for the purposes of of of, of treating black people as problems. Mm-hmm. So whether they're white, black, or brown, you're going to have that negative outcome. We know this because we've seen it for the past 150, 200 years. Right. So that's the first part. But the second part is there is a naive way we tend to look at people. We look at people as if people are things that we could just put into places. But if we understand people as relationships, then we have to understand that you can't just put a person into a different place. You have to change the relationships of that place, which means creating a different game. In other words, you know, if, if you're going to spend uh, centuries of sexualizing women, simply putting women into a man's club, that's not going to change the fact that that club was designed around her sexualization. So that means you have to develop new sets of rules and, in effect, have a different kind of club. Mm. Well, we are going to have to be creative as a society, as a, as a different way of thinking about public safety, which means we have to develop a different game. Now, for now, it means the black people who are coming in, their task is to be linked to the communities and relationships in such a way that they could say that there is a disconnection between them in those places and the purpose of those places. In other words, we need to develop a way to create a form of performance of black people or to transform the very notion of what it is to have public safety. And I could tell you, it's not just here. This is part of what led, there was a brother who attempted this in England he was the first member of the black person to be in the police force, and he is the one who subsequently developed the black uh, police union, but he began to realize that it was endemic. In other words, he began to realize, that, oh, I realize the problem isn't about better policy, policing. The problem is that policing was the problem. Mm. There need to be something very different at work. And that, but that's a longer conversation. We have a short time on the radio, but I have a no, lot to say on that. It's a longer conversation, and I promise you, we, you, we will have you back for that longer conversation. Whether I talk to you for 30 minutes or an hour, there never seems to be enough time to unpack all that you are offering us. Uh, so I, I promise you, for that longer conversation, uh, we'll get J.D. on the phone with your office to get you back on this program. Let me close by saying Dr. Lewis Gordon is not just a leading public intellectual, towering intellectual in this country. He is a truth teller. Uh, a truth nurturer, and a truth warrior. He's welcome on this program anytime. Dr. Gordon, we'll leave it there for this conversation, but thank you for your time, sir. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, and and, and love and safety to the audience. And we got to just keep the struggle going. Aluta, continue. Well, there you go. The struggle continues. Thank you for your time. When we come forward, hour two of Tavis Smiley on uh, KBLA Talk 1580, after we give you some news, traffic, and sports, don't go away.